Hello. Good morning, sir. Hi, Dan. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Ooh, Ooh. doing good. Yeah. I got new cans, and it sounds really loud. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking. No, you sound. No, 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 no. It sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, things are. Uh, things are very well. <laughs> what kind of cans did you get? Um, hang on. All right. <clears throat> uh. Uh. I think they're by Ars Technica. Okay, those are good. Uh, I can find out. So, see, the problem is I got my lights off. I like to have a nice, quiet atmosphere. Oh, yeah. I turn off my lights, and so I can't look at my headphones and talking at the same time. No, I know how that. Um, these were recommended by Marco, and so Max Temkin bought them, and then Max recommended them, so I bought them, because I'm, I'm a stooge like that. Right. Uh, they're by Ars Technica. What were you using? People love this kind of talk. Sennheiser HD 280 Pro 64 Omega. Yeah. Sennheiser. Yeah. These are great, man. These sound amazing. Uh, I got the uh, Ars Technica, the uh, ATH M50 XDG limited edition. <clears throat> Professional studio monitor headphones. And they sound really good. It's like having speakers on your ears. Right. It's like the you can hear everything right there. I kind of can hear stuff. I, yeah. I don't know if I like it, but, but it's so far so good. I also got a new new uh, new uh, faucet coming for the bathroom. Nice. Let's see. Got my wife a toothbrush. Uh, I got an Yvonne Craig Batgirl figure. <clears throat> Just looking through my recent purchases. Oh, I got uh -huh. a nose hair trimmer. Really, the oh, sweet yeah, nose hair those trimmer. Do very do. Got a Panas Panasonic uh, ER four thirty K. It's got a built in built in vacuum system. Oh, that's not bad. <clears throat> I got some really nice fingernail clippers. You might you know, you might have been the one who told me about this. The Sekai Edge stainless steel fingernail clipper. Yes, that's the one I told you about. I did tell oh you about god. that one. Oh my god, that's like the Macintosh of, uh, of of Clippers. Oh no, it's good. It's good. That's I gotta, good. I, you can't. You'll never. You'll never go back from that. Well, you know, it's like it's like those Harry's uh, handles. It's the nice heavy handle in your hand. I got a Lego Ray. Yeah. What else have I gotten lately? Tardis. Yeah. Yeah, and then, then now we're getting into Christmas presents. So yeah, yeah, it's been a good, a good, good year, big year. You know, I think it was only last year I've been singing this song to myself all morning. Which, what song? It goes like this. You ready? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, I just had some internet ramen. I'm kind of congested. <clears throat> every kiss begins with K. <laughs> every every morning you're doing that? Well, I, I get I get usually three to four songs in my head it's every morning. K, K Jewelers, for those of you <laughs> lucky enough K, to not know that. K Jewelers? K Jewelers has been using that as their little uh, song yeah. for years now. And I would hear it, and uh, uh, oh gosh. I'm going to put your headphones into the into the show notes. You said they're the ATX what? Oh, now I got to look it up. Yeah, look it up again. <clears throat> I'm still a big fan of the Sony MDR 7506s that Sandy also loves, and sort of the standard the standard monitoring headphones in 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 the world, and they work they work well. And they're eighty bucks on Amazon. Oh, that's that's a good deal. These are more than that. Oh yeah, yeah. the way <clears throat> the way we the, beat um, those things up, I wouldn't want to. ATHM fifty XDG. ATHM. Oh, let's put in the notes. I'll do that. Fif you do. Mm -hmm. right. So you know, especially around Christmas time, if you have a television set, you end up seeing these ads for Kate Jewelers, <laughs> <laughs> and you hear the song. Every kiss begins with K. I'm forty nine years old. It was maybe maybe the last two years <laughs> that I realized that that was a that was a, a play on words. Yeah, did you realize that this because the name is called K Jewelers, right? K Jewelers. Okay, and they're saying that every kiss 
The, let, the word kiss, K-I-S-S. K-I-S-S starts with a K. Also starts. K, and this is spelled out K, K-A-Y is the name of their company. So they're implying that when you buy their jewelries, you're going to get the neck. Every kiss begins with K. Every kiss begins with K. Ne- by neck, I think you mean make out. Yeah, yeah, you're doing some, uh, yeah, exactly. Some, some, some smoldering, mm-hmm. uh, snogging. Necking. <clears throat> necking. That's uh, a very 70s term to me, necking. Yeah. Did we, be... had, did we have necking in the 80s? I think we had necking in the 80s. We had Frenching. <laughs> it, my, my least favorite, sucking face. Sucking I like face. That. I don't like that at all. They all of that, these things, yeah. hopefully you were going steady before you start any serious necking. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the only ones that would have me. Yeah. It's like right. buying, buying the cow. So there's, and then you got to this, I'm realizing how many things I don't get in life. Yeah. So that's one. I heard that for years. Every kiss begins with K. I heard that for years and years and years. And it really only occurred to me fairly recently that that that's a little play on words. Mm -hmm. Uh, I get a lot of those. And now I'm starting to realize I should look and listen more carefully and I can find little, little jokes and things. You know, like the FedEx, the FedEx, the arrow inside the FedEx. Mm, Yeah. You can't unsee that. So it's been a good week. Uh, It's been a big week. I uh, got a got a new uh, new faucet coming. Like it's, a, it's a four inch four, four inch base. <laughs> that sounds interesting. It's a classic. Well, it's a classic two handle center set uh, model. I got a Fister. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, every Fister begins with P. <laughs> I see that the with more, a Fister with a four inch base. Fister with a four inch base. Every Fister begins with P. That'd be funny if it was for your toilet. Uh, that's, I got the FWL2 300C. Who names these things? It's a classic two-handle center set uh, bathroom faucet. It's been polished. It's a polished chrome. Got it from EC Direct. Uh, that's coming out. That should be arriving uh, tomorrow by 8 p.m. Uh, I got my wife's toothbrush. <laughs> Every Oral-B begins with O. You're on like a, you're on like a, like a bender almost, <clears throat> like getting stuff. Not really. Not really. Just, you know, my, my kid has to brush her teeth. My wife has to brush her teeth. Uh, I got my, I got my daughter a new toothbrush. Every Phillips begins also with P. I got her the Sonicare for kids connected Sonic electric toothbrush. Now this is an exciting new technology. The, the, do you know about Bluetooth, Bluetooth in a toothbrush? Bluetooth. Really? <laughs> what does it a, keep a log of it? Is there a, a health app? The Bluetooth toothbrush. Headphones. <laughs> phones home. Every phone begins with P. Oh my God. Yeah, so I got that. That's the HF632 uh, Stroke 02. Now, this is an interesting piece of technology because you get this and it's got Bluetooth. And so uh, that means that you can get an app that has a little critter in it. And so we turn on the Bluetooth on your brush. You sync it up with your phone, with dad's phone. And this thing walks you through what part of your teeth to be brushing. It's got a little timer. And when you're done with the brushing, uh, you get a prize for the little fuzzy guy in the app. And also, you get your uh, very expensive iPhone completely covered with spit and toothpaste oh, right. three times a day. It takes a lot of coordination. A lot of coordination. Where what does else? your kid brush her teeth? Just right on, right on the enamel? No, 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 no. I mean, what location in the house? Ordinarily, she does it in the bathroom, which will soon have the new Fister uh, in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just sitting there waiting. Old Fister, we called it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I don't know if you ever heard the tale of old Fister, but he had what you call a four-inch base, polished chrome, and a worn-out washer on the hot water side. Yeah, where do you, where do you guys keep the Fister? Oh, he's in the bathroom. <laughs> only one place to keep a Fister. That's in a very old bathroom. He's got a four-inch center set base. Uh, the plumber said there's a problem with my stem, so I, I, he could try and do it, but he probably couldn't. 
He's had a hard time replacing the one that I've got, which is some kind of model that some some kind of you know a crazy model that they can't get. So I went ahead and got a Fister. <clears throat> it's the FWL two three hundred C classic two handle center set. Mm-hmm. Uh, faucet. The main thing you want to know when you're buying a new faucet, Fister or otherwise, is you want to know what the what the inches are. I have a four inch, so it's nice. It's got the hot and the cold. So what? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a big week. Uh, she brushes in the bathroom normally, very, very quickly. But now, now she has this critter. It's so cute. There's a little critter, and it's you know, it's a video game type situation. So you brush your teeth, and you get rewards. You get presents to give to the critter, and it's really cute because if you offer, so like today she got a strawberry. She won a strawberry in a box for for the critter, and and if you offer him the food right after you brush your teeth, he makes this really cute face. He closes his eyes, he turns his head from side to side, and he waves. He's got a, like, like a wing. He waves his wing from side to side, and he goes. Mm-mm. Because he just brushed his teeth. I'm not seeing the app with a critter in it. Oh, it's, uh, let's see. What's it called? It's called the Sonicare uh, iPhone app. But, you know, it's funny. I, the words came out of my daughter's mouth. Uh, search for Philip Sonicare for kids. Words came out of my mouth I never heard. She said, when I get home from school, can I brush my teeth? Yeah, that's not the kind of thing you expect to hear. I've, I've never heard that in my life. Now, Philip so Sonic Care for Kids, connect it. Sonic toothbrush. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so far it's working great. I don't, I don't love the fact that she gets spittle over my uh, iPhone three times a day, but. She doesn't have her own iPad or whatever to use. See, this is the problem, Dan. This takes us right back to the goddamn problem with the PlayStation, oh. which is that she's already playing on my dude. Right. And so she'll lose all the furnishings in her, in her toy box house if she goes and plays on her user. So now I'm, I'm saddled with it. It's a yoke for me now. <laughs> I, I can't go out there and, and you know, get killed at Destiny because I got to watch my daughter's house. Right. Have you done that? Have you played Toy Box? No, I haven't played that. That's, oh, my goodness. That seems like the really fun one. Well, we got, you know, Infinity was the main thing that we played. And it's, it's they have this thing called Toy Box, which is you just run around and do stuff and you basically learn how to play video games. And it's really fun. You can decorate a house. You can add rooms to it. You can add halls to connect the rooms. You can change them to different, you know, patterns. And then all the different little characters have different skills. Luke is the most powerful, turns out. Uh, Luke Skywalker is a good one to play. Uh, I play Ray because that's how I roll. It's been a good week. It's been a big week. Uh-huh. Had some internet ramen. Uh, read a lot of email from people. Got a lot of email this week. I'm trying to go through that. We have a great backlog of people asking us to talk about things on the program. Oh, yeah. But um, I'm open to uh, whatever you want. How was, how was your week? How are you doing? How's your, how's your new schedule working out? New schedule's been pretty good, I think. Pretty good. good, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, pretty good. I mean, we've been been busy at the, at, at the homestead. The reason I ask about the toothpaste, the toothbrush thing, is because my uh, I put the toothpaste in, I don't, there's things that happen in my house that I just feel like I don't, I really don't understand. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I get, I get three of those a day, easy. And, and so like, for example, I, there was a, there was a white substance in a little, what, what we would call a Tupperware container. It's probably Rubbermaid in oh. a little container, no lid on it, just sort of sitting by the sink. I and mean, it, somebody just left it there and walked away. I thought it looked, it looked like it might've been a homemade mayo, which we do sometimes have a homemade oh, mayo. Like homemade science mayonnaise. Yeah. Or maybe it was yogurt. I don't know. So I put the lid on it and I put it in the fridge. Oh, no. No, it was fine. Nothing bad happened. But it turns out it was toothpaste. Mm. I don't know why that would be in a container. I don't know why it would be out 
I don't know why I'd be by the kitchen sink, but it, it turns out that apparently sometimes my children are brushing their teeth at the kitchen sink. And I, so I said to my wife, I said, well, is, do you care if they're doing that? She said, well, no, I hate it. I never want them to do that. <laughs> why, is there, why is there a toothpaste there? Well, sometimes that's, I just don't want to fight with them about brushing their teeth and I'll let them brush there. It's better than them not brushing at all or causing a big mm-hmm. stink. And I said, yeah, okay, now that makes sense. But it's it's become a, a huge joke that I thought I didn't know what it was that I put the toothpaste in, uh, in 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 the fridge. So part of what I'm the reason that I ask about that is I'm trying to think of ways to make toothbrushing more fun and anything that I can have my kids do with their you know with their iPads seems like it'll be that would be a win in my house. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a this is a product. I don't mean to endorse this, but I think it's a fun product for a kid because first of all, you get a toothbrush and it's got a real good home to it. I mean, it's a serious vibrating toothbrush. It mm-hmm. does a lot of your heavy lifting for you. It's nice. Right. And it's got a faceplate on it. And so you can put whatever faceplate you want on there and then it's got stickers you can use. I like so it's, that. So it's got all kinds of stuff kids love and it's got this little critter. You can change his color. First he was purple, then he was black and now he's green. And uh, you can you can give him broccoli or a hat. He, <laughs> he's got a top hat that he can wear. But if you hand him the broccoli right after you brush it, he goes, Mm-mm-mm. it's really, really cute. So I think that's not a bad idea. It wasn't too costly. Yeah. Uh, I have two uh, super problems. Okay. In that they are like a class representing many, many sub problems, which is that what you just described, like you can't believe that there was toothpaste in a dish. Right. Like I can't believe on the one hand, how many things are in what they are in. And I can't believe how many things are not in what they should be in. Like and, example. Oh, last night, uh, every, every, uh, every few days, I glance over at the bookshelf and I, I ruefully notice that, that book number one of my Scott Pilgrim box set has been gone for a long time. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to let you know a little secret here. Okay. I know that my daughter swiped that and she knows she's kind of not supposed to be reading it. Oh, uh. So this is real complicated. This has layers to it. But Scott Pilgrim number one was missing because we've seen parts of the film. We did a Watchmen on that where we flipped through lots of the movies. A lot of Scott Pilgrims are actually kind of okay. But uh, she loves that. She, she loves, she does performances of the Black Sheep song every night in our house. It's, it's, it's a family holiday favorite. We love Scott Pilgrim. So, you know, I got the comics. I like the comics. And like for meh, two months, like basically just after I got it, volume one of the book's been missing. I know that she had it. I oh, know yeah. she's been reading it. Oh, yeah. Because I don't think my wife did it. I bought her a copy of The Watchmen three years ago, and she still hasn't cracked it. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so I know she's doing that, and she's even giving me a little bit of, I, what? What? Right. I don't know. Ooh. I don't know where it, what? No, I don't know where it is. It's like, and I said, look, stop. You're terrible at this. It, I have to have plausible deniability. <laughs> you are a little kid. Right. You're going to try to do stuff. You're not allowed to die. You're not allowed to kill. Other than that, have some experiments. <laughs> if you want to get Daddy's Funny Book that's a little older for you, that's okay. Every little kid does that. I want you to do it at home. It's a lot like drinking. Right, right, right. Under your supervision, more or less. In, within... Well, under my benign non-supervision. <laughs> yeah. Because I couldn't find it for months. Uh, so we were sitting there last night. We were, we were uh, eating dinner, and, uh, and I, I looked over at the bookshelf. Volume number one of Scott Pilgrim is back exactly um... in the right place in the box. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Volume one of my Scott Pilgrim box set appears to be back in the box. Right. She's like, what? Like, what do you mean, what? <laughs> I, I've told you on four separate occasions, I wonder where my volume one copy of the Scott Pilgrim series is. She goes, what? I'm like, you know, listen, I just want to underscore, you're terrible at this. Yeah. Mom is right here. When you whisper, she knows you're telling a secret. Mm-hmm. 
Stop doing that. You're blowing <laughs> this for both of us. And then there are other kinds of things. Dan, hmm. one time, uh, so I'm almost done with this, but, okay. but this is instructive. One time, maybe a month ago, uh, my wife cleaned my daughter's room extensively. What she produced out of my daughter's room, it was like somebody had shaken an office supply store. She had a box with six rolls of tape and five different pairs of scissors in this box. Wow. Because when we can't find the scissors, sometimes we buy new scissors because we can never find the scissors. Yeah. There's exactly one place the scissors go. In this drawer <laughs> right here. There should be five pairs. There could be four pairs of scissors in there because you have one on loan right now that you're using, but it always goes back in the scissors drawer. That's where we know where the scissors are. No, no. They, they go somewhere. They go somewhere into that hole. Can we talk about hairbrushes? We have five, five hairbrushes because we have to keep buying new hairbrushes because they get lost. There's only one person in our house who uses this particular hairbrush. And the person uses this hairbrush twice a day and is the only person who ever uses it. And that person every day says, where's the hairbrush? Hmm. It's a fister. It's a four-inch <laughs> center base model. I got my wife the Oral-B. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oral-B Pro, Pro 1000. Uh-huh. Every Oral begins did, did, did this come o- out of something? Did you have like a bad dentist appointment or something like that that... No, we're a Sonicare family and we had, we bought a base and like two Sonicares for my wife and me, but you know, they get kind of grody. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not too hung up about this stuff, but like the point where you like, where you screw off the base, it has that kind of golden mold in it. Like you oh, don't want that Yeah, no. Yeah, we don't have any ventilation in our house. Um, every oral ends with B. Anyway, that's some internet ramen. Got some notes. Uh, I, I, one thing I want to make sure to mention, I keep forgetting to mention it until it's the week of, but I have to mention it. This week, uh, the return of Ungainly X-Men Meetup. This is Ungainly X-Men Meetup number 12. This is an event that happens well, four or five, six times a year, four to five times a year, where we meet at Two Cats Comics uh, on West Portal Avenue here in San Francisco, and a small group of nerds gets together. We complain about Doctor Who. Uh, we, we look over comic books, and then we go and have a drink, and it's really, really fun. That's happening this Thursday night, February 4th. 2000. Oh God, I got the date wrong on here. 2015. Oh I got to fix this. Escape key. <clears throat> February 4th from 7.30 to 9 p.m. Two Cats Comics on West Portal Avenue. And it's really fun. Uh, and so if you go to that page, merlinm.com slash meetup, you can go there and you'll get information on the event and uh, you can see like uh, like other different public transit ways to get there. I like to remind people this is this is people for people who are just generally nerdy and nice people. You do not have to be into comics to come to this. Um, it's just a good it's a good time. You don't have to like comics. It's just a good time. No, and I mean I have to hold up Two Cats Comics as like a standard. I mean they are so they're so nice and they're so not there to like prove anything. Um, and if you just want to come in and just walk around, that's fine. If you want advice or ideas about things you might want to check out, they're fantastic at that. But also, it's just a bunch of really nice people from the internet, and uh, we hang out there. Ungainly X-Men Meetup, uh, Two Cats Comics, 320 West Portal Ave in San Francisco, 7.30 Thursday. Please come. Fister should get here uh, <laughs> by uh, 8 p.m. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Did the Fister, is the Fister here? <laughs> Fister, Fister's here. Fisted Fister. <laughs> How do you prepare to receive that? <laughs> you, you relax. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be uptight worrying about it. They just banned amyl nitrates in uh, in England. No kidding. I'm pretty sure you can't get locker room, can't get rush, can't get it anymore. <laughs> That's going to be a tough weekend. It's, it's a rough mm-hmm. You have to do a lot more time. talking. A lot more talking, a little bit of red wine. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> it's 
It's been a big week. What has happened to the show? We're doing great. I got a fister on the way. Got a lot of feedback about uh, the last episode, especially the last few. Dan, we got a lot of feedback about the last episode or uh, or, or two. Actually, Actually, a lot. Yeah, we have. It's been really nice. And uh, as, as, as has become kind of a, a joke or a bit between us offline, I mean, you and I have said repeatedly... Um, well, the old joke was the worse I thought the episode was, the better you think it ends up being. Yeah. But I think we're both at a point now where it's very <laughs> difficult to know if anything that we're saying makes any sense and whether anybody is listening. Agreed. And uh, I, I feel good about the last episode. I am proud of it. And uh, if you haven't listened to it, it's in show notes. Uh, you can go to uh, 5 by well, Anyway, if you don't want to hear the show you're listening to right now, you go to 5by5.tv slash B2W. You can see all of the 256 uh, great shows that we've had. But uh, yeah, last week's I thought was a good one. We, I got a lot of really nice heartfelt notes from people uh, on the Twitter and in email. Yeah, it seems it seems like we never really know if the show that we're doing at the moment is completely off base and and disinteresting. Is that a word? Dis off putting. Disinterested means you don't have a stake in it. Uninterested in uh, uninterested. Means you don't you don't care. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like we're as we're doing it, if if we think that it's going to be great, at least for me, if I think it's going to be great, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a great topic. Like, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm talking about those are the ones that seem to, at least in my opinion, kind of fall flat a little bit. But hmm. if if I kind of go into it with uh, some kind of existential crisis that I'm willing to share uh, and, and I'm very hesitant about it, that seems to be a, a better one and then the other ones anytime when an episode ends and you text me and you say i talked too long i didn't say anything good that was a weird one that's actually the cue for me if you say that was a weird one then i know we've we've got we struck old huh it's strange <clears throat> it's uh we we're talking about this on uh top top scallops this week our uh eat Max salty tonight. eat salty <laughs> don't please don't please don't <laughs> i can't i can't go through this again <clears throat> sir <laughs> you don't know internet comments until you've gotten into inter- internet comments on a grammarian blog. Oh my god, um, that was a good blog. That's, that's actually a great blog and a great a great post too. Um, it read, reads easy. It, no, it reads good. <laughs> it reads good. <laughs> that's this is my point. It's okay to use adverbs to modify a verb. <laughs> Using an adjective to modify a verb is savage. Stop doing it. <clears throat> Uh, and we're talking about how this week was a particularly tough episode because there are a couple of things that were really interesting in, in this realm of expertise uh, that I'm so interested in. Where, for example, uh, contestant Philip, who's kind of the dingling of this season, you know, it, he always thinks he's doing great, but he always seems bewildered. He seems like you're not sure. He's not sure why he succeeded or why he failed. But then you got people like Kwame uh, and uh, Kwame and Cajun Man both had a tough week this week, and they were both like genuinely blown away when the judges didn't didn't like their dish. It was a weird episode, and you'll you'll hear us talk about our suspicions about how this episode was wired a little weird. But uh, <clears throat> that's the thing is when you do something, um, when I say professionally, I don't mean necessarily for money, but when you take something seriously enough to sort of associate it with like your name and title, like this is a thing that I do. It's nice to think that you know when you're doing well or not. Um, if you are performing for people, if you're doing comedy and lots of people laugh, that feels successful. If you're making YouTube videos and lots of people watch it, that seems like a good success. But I've had shows where I do quote unquote comedy where I thought it totally bombed, but people were really effusive about how much they enjoyed it. And on this show, like I sometimes think I don't, I, I don't know what I'm saying. 
and and I imagine you think the same thing. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, <clears throat> people do end up liking it. It's a funny uh, blind spot to not know, and it's not it's not just strictly sandbagging. Like we all sandbag. We all go, oh, that wasn't very good. Right. Oh, I probably got an F. <laughs> Shut up. Everybody, everybody I knew who always thought they got an F on the test always got an A. Right. But I don't think it's sandbagging. And it's partly like, eh, it's really hard to know. Like when you're speaking extemporaneously, it's hard to know. Well, and, you know, although it seems like both you and I prepare at great lengths for the show with, with our scripts and other things, uh, a lot of the time it, it, we really kind of just come into it not really sure what's going to happen, at least speaking for myself. I'm not, I'm not always sure where it's going to go or if the topic that I might be thinking of is even going to be a good one. You usually save it from going too far down off the rails, but yeah, it's, and, and you know, like I think people really generally tend to respond to when, if, if we kind of go into a territory that's a little bit uncomfortable or where we're talking about a struggle or something else, I think that people kind of seem to like hearing about that. Maybe that it's that, Oh, I'm, I'm glad this other person is struggling with something that's like what I'm struggling with. I totally, I totally agree. And I, I realize this is, um, kind of a navel-gazy topic, but I, I do think it gets to something that's sort of critical to why we do this show, why we like doing this show, and why the people who enjoy it from time to time end up enjoying it, which is that, you know, I have said this for so many years, but it's true. Like, any advice I'm giving to somebody else or any less... less I, I don't like to think of it too much as advice. I mean it more like as a reframe or a way of thinking about something. And like, that's me talking to myself in a lot of ways. Honestly, that's it's talking to current me, it's talking to past me, it's talking to future me, and like saying, like, you have to remember these things. And so, you know, I while I sometimes do feel some compunction about repeating myself, honestly, I feel like there's a reason people go to church every week. Cause seven days is about how long some people can stand to be away from the good word. And so I think it can be really useful to hear things you already know. For the same reason you would reread a book that you've read before, is that, you know, you wanna you wanna whatever, refire, refire those synapses again and go like, yes, this, is, this needs to be top of mind or it needs to be further near the top of mind as, as something I'm going to do. Because I mean, that's so, I feel like so often with the stuff that helps me in life and what may theoretically help people that we talk about is that it's, it's remembering to remember. It's, you know, I, I don't want to call it mindfulness because that seems the word's becoming nigh on meaningless these yeah, days. But, yeah. but no, but so the self-awareness of, of realizing I have to remember to remember. You know, I just started rereading um, a book I never completely finished. I just started rereading a couple nights ago, that book, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, um, which, I mean, even if you just read the first chapter of that book, Kahneman, he's such a brilliant guy. Uh, he's the guy who, with his various um, collaborators, especially in the 70s and 80s, came up with a lot of the terms that you and I use a lot. Like, he's the guy who invented the idea pretty much of the availability heuristic. Oh, really? He's, he's written and thought a lot about how we process stuff and make decisions, how we do that poorly, what kinds of blind spots tend to be sort of, you know, always looming for all of this. And, you know, availability heuristic, heuristic like, ugh, explains like so much of, of bad reasoning in my life. But he basically says that, you know, and I'm, I'm going to massacre this, but you should read the book for yourself. It's really good. He says, you know, there are essentially these, these two modes, generally two modes of thinking. You've got fast thinking, you've got slow thinking. I know we've talked about this before, forgive me. Um, fast thinking is your ability to, like, if I said to you, what's two plus two, even if you chose not to say four, it would be impossible for you not to not think Not to think four. it, right. Right. If, if, I, if I handed you a card uh, that said cow on it in very clear English words, you wouldn't help, but be, you would have to read the word cow, like when you saw it. <laughs> right. like, there's certain kinds of things that are almost automatic. Um, you know, like when you're reading a book, 
for example, you know, you're concentrating, but you don't have to remember how to read English yeah. when you do it. Yeah. That's one example. Another example he gives is, but if I, if I ask you to tell me what's the sum of 17 times 24, you'd have to go into a different mode of thinking, which he calls slow thinking. And slow thinking is where you do almost a kind of meta thinking. It's almost like you have to go through your little library or your mind palace to find out what information you need to answer that. Right. If you even, you know, somebody asking your phone number or asking you your partner's phone number, you have to stop for a second and really think about that sometimes. And it's not something that's unique to being young or old. It's just that those, I think we can all agree that once you hear enough examples of this, there really are at least these two modes of thinking. Fast thinking, stuff we do all the time with not even realizing that we're thinking about it or having to think about it, quote unquote. And then slow thinking, which is when we really set our minds to focusing on a task to the exclusion of other tasks. And they each have their benefits and their downsides. So the fast thinking is great because we can chunk all this information, right? There's all these heuristics that we can apply to help us, you know, be able to find somebody at the airport, right? Or to be able to like notice which kid to pick up at the playground. Like that takes, you know, certain kinds of thinking. But, but that, that if we do a lot of that nearly automatic thinking and don't engage in that slower thinking, we're not processing stuff as, I guess, rationally sometimes or as deliberately. So you need both kinds of thinking. If you did, slow thinking all the time, you might be like a crazy person. But, you know, to me, why am I saying all this? Because I think that relates to like why, why you would want to talk about this stuff and why you'd want to hear it more than once is like, you know, we all have to be reminded. We have to be reminded to remember. We have to be reminded to be kind. We have to be reminded uh, to be patient. We have to remind it to, you know, be a decent human being. And like, it, I think that's a, that's a good thing to remember. Sometimes you just need to be a decent person to yourself. Mm. That's Thinking good. Fast. Thank you. You want to button this up? Yeah, let's do it. All right, fast and slow. I'll put that into show notes. Dan, did you want to tell me about anything that you like? Sure. We have a new sponsor this week. It's uh, a cool company called Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh. How are hello, you? Hello, hello, hello. Come right in, Michael Kane. <laughs> All I do is steal jokes from the flop house. Well, like, <clears throat> well I'm not Craig. familiar with that podcast, so I don't. I, it's new to me. What? what? I mean, you've told me about it and you've told me to listen to it, but I won't do it. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> so it's new. You can use all the jokes fresh, from fresh there plus. on here. What's it called? Fresh, fresh biz. Hello, f- hello, fresh. Hello, fresh. And this is, this is a really cool company because there are a lot of people out there, myself included in this, I think, who you, you, you fall into a rut of kind of you kind of dread cooking, first of all, because you, you want it making, you learn like two or three dishes and you wind up making them just over and over and over again. And every week it kind of becomes the same thing. And, and that's not really fun. And there's so many really cool options out there. And I think it, especially busy people, people who don't have time to like sit down and plan out like, this looks like a good recipe. Maybe I'll try this one. Then I'll go find the ingredients and then I'll go shop for them. And it costs a lot of money and all of that. You know, that, that kind of winds up that you, you make like the same chicken meal like two or three times a week and the same shrimp and grits two or three times a week and the same burgers two or three times a week. And it gets really monotonous. And HelloFresh is going to change that. Basically, they are like a meal kit delivery service. This is not prepared meals. And I don't want you to, to think that this is like some meal that's in a little box that comes to you. It's, it's a kit of fresh ingredients that they ship to you, super fresh, 
And then you make the dinner. And the dinner's for like two or four people. They've got different styles. They get a classic box. They get a veggie box. And like when they were coming on board as a sponsor, they're like, we won't really want you to try. I'm like, well, not going to work because like we're gluten free. We're not going to have anything. Like, actually, not true. Lots of options. So you, you really, even if you have like dietary restrictions and other things, there's still stuff here for you. And it delivers right to your door. You don't have to go and like figure out. And so they send this to you and then you make it. You make it yourself. And the recipes are really easy to do, but they turn out great. And like they actually look like the picture on the website and they taste great. And they really, really great. You don't have to think about, oh man, what's going to be for dinner? It shows up. They tell you how long it's going to take. You don't have to buy anything. It's really, really awesome. So uh, here's the deal. Hello, the, the domain name to go to is a HelloFresh, H-E-L-L-O, HelloFresh.com. And uh, they have us made a special code for us, comics, of course. And when you go there and you sign up, you're going to get 35 bucks off your first week of deliveries. It's a really cool way to start out. I think you're really going to like it. The food is great. HelloFresh.com, code to use is comics. Thanks very much to HelloFresh for supporting 5x5 and back to work with Merlin Man. Hello, Fresh. Hello, Fresh. Hello, Fresh. <laughs> Woo! Internet ramen. I've got uh, I've got a lot of uh, what, anything else you want you want to pop in with? We want to talk about the Fister. I mean the Fister. I want to do that. I want to. I definitely feel like we could revisit some of the topics that we've done through the feedback of the listeners. If that's interesting. Oh yeah, totally. To you. Totally. Do you, do you want to go look some of that up? I can look that up. I know you've spent a lot of time uh, keeping tabs on um, on the Apple campus. And you've flown your drone over it to, uh, so you have some updates on that. On the Apple campus? Yeah, the, the, uh. Oh, right, my drones. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, what's happening at Apple? What are they doing? What's happening? I don't know. No, it's just the big campus. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, you look that up and I'll read this paragraph. Right. Um, this is from uh, the book, uh, the Wikipedia page for Thinking Fast and Slow. This is the description. The book's central thesis is a dichotomy between two modes of thought. System one is fast, instinctive, and emotional. System two is slower, more deliberate, and more logical. The book delineates cognitive biases associated with each type of thinking, starting with Kahneman's own research on loss aversion. From framing choices to people's tendency to substitute an easy-to-answer question for one that is harder, the book highlights several decades of academic research to suggest that people place too much confidence in human judgment. Hmm. That's a way Homer. Mm. Dude, you, we talked about we talked about the, uh, the 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 basketball bouncing video, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. With the attention yeah. and everything. Yeah. 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 Did he do that? That's him. I don't. No, it wasn't him. But oh. he he mentions it in the book about how fifty percent of the people don't see the thing that's happening. And I was one of them. Thing that's right in front of your face. Right in front of your face, like a big face. Um. <laughs> so, uh, do you want to? We're not just going to read compliments, right? This is like no. I'm I'm actually we got so many wonderful things that were, uh, but there's one that had some show topics in it. Do it. Drive this boat. All right, Tony. Uh, not to be confused with um, Mrs. Torrance's Tony. How to? Oh, Tony, the little boy lives in my mouth. Yeah, not that one. How to help? Uh, the question is, how do you help other people? How do you manage expectations, boundaries, and time? This is nominally something I am good at as a core part of my job, yet I struggle and stress about it often, Tony. And I have a comment about this, and it's, it's interesting because 
Tony thinks that he uh, is good at this, that something about managing expectations and boundaries and things that's part of their job, and it, Tony is good at it, but it causes an internal struggle and stress. And I, I've now it seems like a very popular kind of thinking or feeling to have that if 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 something is hard to do and creates stress, then maybe you shouldn't do it, as Gil Fronstall would say. Like, don't start start by maybe not doing that thing. But would you want something to be a core part of your job if it creates stress for you? And how do you change that or alleviate or eliminate that stress? You know what I mean? Like, um, that's my comment and question on top of Tony's comment and question. So I'm struggling a little bit to understand. So are we talking about in, in helping or like mentoring other people? Or? Managing expectation boundaries and time and, and, do, and helping people to do those things. Managing expectations of other people boundaries and time right he says he's good at it and it's a core part of his job but he struggles and stresses about it right and i would think if you're good at something then shouldn't should there be uh, and maybe i'm being a devil's advocate in some way but should there be an aspect of it that feels effortless that feels okay easy that 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 for example when uh, we've talked about being in the in the sort of zone, having that that focus where you're sitting down and you're you're writing or you're designing or you're coding or whatever it is that you're doing, and there's the flow is happening, right? And you're you're and and it becomes seamless. It's the runner's high that you run for a certain amount of time or in a certain way, and then all of a sudden it becomes easy, and that struggle and that frustration around it goes away. Um, wouldn't you know, it, that to me strikes me as the point where you're, you feel good at something where it becomes natural and the struggle goes away. So that was my addendum to, to that. Maybe I've complicated the question. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, uh, my only thought on that is it's something that I've been thinking about for a couple of years uh, is, you know, I think one of the ways people can, can get hung up, especially when you're, when you're younger, is you get hung up on this idea, like you think, you know, think about how we're all raised to talk about like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what do you yeah. like to do? Or, you know, like taking the job back in the day, the test that would help you figure out like what kind of career you should have based on your, what you like to do and what you're good at. And, you know, it's understandably like so many things when you're younger, it's framed a certain way for like what you're sort of capable of and to keep you encouraged and optimistic. So, but, you know, that can be something where you end up being sold a bill of goods because if you if you get out of, and this, this is not as karma suck as it sounds, so stay with me. But if you get out of college and say, okay, now what, what, how do I get my dream job? Or how do I get to do the thing I like to do all the time? Or even at a more, to me, more sophisticated level, how do I get to make what I like to make all the time? I mean, that's, that's one way to look at it. Um, but I think another way to look at it as you get older and mature and try different things and realize what you are and aren't good at or what you aren't, aren't, um, tolerant or, you know, okay with. So, so to me, it's like, when you think about your job, it isn't, you, it isn't, it isn't enough to just think of a job as a failure because it's not what you like to do. Right. Any more than to think that a job is a failure because you have to do things that are difficult or that you don't like to do. And I think those can and should be very, can be very different things. A job being, uh, parts of your job being difficult. I mean, gosh, if there weren't parts of your job that were difficult, would you want to do it? It would be pretty unchallenging. Yeah. You would you want things that are going to be a challenge to you. I mean, it's again, so in Kahneman's words, it's a framing issue. It, you know, is it difficult or is it challenging or is it just a pain in the ass? Like, like you, you know, like your friend having to go like read the logs every every morning and not wanting to do that. So I think I think one way to think about and this is this is difficult to do until you've had a little bit of experience. But 
when you're in a situation where you're thinking about what you're doing, in addition to thinking about what you'd like to do or what you'd like to make, think about what, you're, what you'd be uh, invigorated or excited to find difficult or what you wouldn't mind finding annoying, right? I mean, you think about anything in life once you're like a legitimate grown-up, there's very few things that are just pure joy or like pure pain. Right. But there are kinds of things where you find the right mix. So I don't, I don't know if that exactly makes sense, but I, I, I would say it's not good to be in a job where one of the tentpole tasks or responsibilities is doing something that you find intolerable. That's, <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't think it's too Pollyanna to say like, that's not any way to spend 40 years. But I think what you do have to say is like, well, you know, wherever you go, if you are challenged, if it is like a, a, a job that's interesting or exciting to you, it's going to push you in certain ways. And is that pushing going to be something like, well, I finally have to learn how to manage a small team. Like maybe I've mostly been a practitioner in the past and now to move up in the kind of work that I do, I need to manage other people. I'm scared to do that. I don't mm-hmm. want to do that. Is it something where you say, well, you know, I've pre- previously had these certain kinds of jobs in institutions where there was a pretty clearly defined schedule and very clearly defined expectations, but I want to make more money right. and I want more responsibility. I mean, not that you don't make money at a job like that, but you know, there aren't that many people doing that great who get to leave at five on the clock. Yeah. So do you, could you tolerate working later or in my mind worse, could you tolerate a totally erratic schedule where you might just get somebody hitting your beeper at two in the morning? Mm-hmm. You know, well, I don't, I don't know. You, you would have to answer that, but to me, that's, that's part of success. It's not just what you want to do, but also what you, what you can tolerate or find a way to deal with. And I guess in the most advanced of circumstances, being able to take something that you find very difficult and making it into a good thing, um, which is difficult for most of us to do because we don't run the country. But I don't know. Does, does that kind of get toward the question? No, I think it does. I think there's that. And I, I, I'm glad you brought up the point about meeting a challenge or facing a challenge or having the thing that you do be a challenge because I remember I was uh, I was talking with a friend recently about like pay rates and and how do you give your employees raises and what kind of raise you should you should expect or or want to get if you're working somewhere and I remember there was a company that I worked at an aerospace company and I was like I was the IT guy and the job had become so monotonous isn't the right word Certainly, it was a frustrating job. And, you know, a lot of what I did was setting up servers and maintaining them and flipping backup tapes. And a lot of what I did was running around and, you know, when someone's PC would have a problem, I would have to go crawl around and figure out which cable had come unplugged under the desk. You know what I mean? Like, like people would kick the cables and that's why their mouse and keyboard would stop working. Like, that, that was just normal. And dealing with Windows for work groups, you know, like, it was just not at all challenging. And of course, at the time, I I knew it wasn't challenging, but I couldn't really put my finger on it in the same way that in retrospect, I could look back and say, gosh, I was really, really bored and unchallenged there. And that's, of course, why I didn't like it and, and, and why when, you know, we had this sort of range uh, of of how much of a bonus that you would get. And on the very low end, you would get like a cost of living increase of like, what, 3%, something like that. And then if you did well, uh, and for whatever reason they wanted to really reward you, I don't know, what the tie end was maybe 10, 15% increase. Wow, or, wow. You know, something big, like it was a big, it was a big difference. And I remember the guy in the next office, a friend of mine, and I, I had the same boss and I got the 3% cost of living increase and he got whatever the maximum was that allowable 
10% or whatever it was. And of course, you're not supposed to share this, but of course, everyone shared it. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking my first response as a, you know, what, what 23 year old was, wow, our boss sucks. This place sucks. And I was right to feel the way that I felt that this place sucks. And, but in reality, of course, I was sort of the disgruntled employee, completely my own fault, but unwilling to really look at the fact that the reason why I wasn't doing well on the job was, had nothing to do with the place. They were pretty clear about what they needed. The job was pretty well defined about what it needed and the person who would have done well in that job. It just wasn't me. And when I was able to kind of look at that and say, you know what, like, it's not the job, it's not the company, it's me. I'm, I'm, I'm a misfit for this job. And I really have to like deal with that and try to find a job that, that I'll be happier in. My attitude toward the job actually improved. In other words, I didn't feel kind of put upon to go and plug in these cables. I didn't feel like I was being asked to do stupid stuff that I shouldn't have to do anymore after two years or three years or whatever. No, that those are, that was the job. I just didn't happen to like the job. And when I realized that I actually liked it a lot better, but it, it occurred to me that I need, I've needed to feel challenged. I needed to, that those things weren't challenging and I, I needed to be challenged. I needed to be pushed. I needed to have a job where I didn't know how to do a lot of things and I had to kind of figure it out and that, that moving on was the right thing to do. So I did and it, and you know, it was better, but I think that aspect of it, like there's, but I, I want to kind of say for myself, if I'm not going on too long, that there are two kinds of challenges. There's the kind of, there's the challenge of that for me is exciting is I, I have to figure out how to do this thing. I don't know how to do it and I need to figure out how to do it. I need to learn whatever disciplines are necessary to learn to do that thing because that's fun. Whether it's, oh, we need a new whatever and I have to learn this kind of programming language to do it. Or we'd really like to be able to stream our podcast live. How does somebody do that? What's involved? Well, I'll, I'll go and figure that out. That's a fun problem. That kind of challenge to me is a good kind of challenge because that's the way that my mind works. But I think there's also that kind of challenge of how do you meet uh, those uncomfortable situations, whether it's working with other people that maybe have different agendas or don't get along with you? Uh, how do you face those kinds of challenges that are sort of out of your control that like, wow, we were just saddled with this project that's going to involve a lot of long hours and I'm not really interested in designing these features because that system isn't really interesting to me. And how do I face that kind of challenge? Those are the tough ones. Those are the real tough ones. Well, and also because to, to make a rational decision, you have to, one often has to do something that feels um, not even just impossible, but just it's something that would never occur to one, which is to take the emotion out of it. Right. Because the problem is once you start feeling very emotional about something, it's really hard to, to walk away. Um, and those, whether you realize it or not, how you feel about something emotionally, um, I don't know. It, it, I, as I've said at length, I feel like it changes your perception. I feel like it changes your decision-making. You start kind of looking for instances of things that kind of support your point. Right. Especially if it's about something negative. Um, and I don't know. I mean, there's, there's part of me that thinks that whenever we're struggling with something like that, it's because we lack information or context or courage or some combination. Information, context, and courage. It's, it's very difficult to make a good decision if you don't have 
don't have, um, I mean, ideally, in an ideal situation, you would have lots of information that is accurate and is um, not um, contradictory, right? So you would know things like, well, I, I, I know, you know how much they bill out for me each year. Right. I know what I could get if I go to this other place. I've been offered that, et cetera. How, however you want to slice it. I'm, this is, I'm keeping this del- deliberately abstract. But I think one of the biggest reasons, setting aside emotion, once you take the emotion out of it, the most difficult hurdle for mo- most of us is information. There's either things we don't know or things we can't know. Mm-hmm. So the things that we, the things that we um, don't know when you're young is lots. There's lots you don't know. You haven't been around enough to really know lots of stuff. Like whether that's about how people work or how you're perceived or what your actual value is. Or, you know, I mean, because let's, let's cut to the chase. If you were actually really, really, really good, you'd already have a better job. <laughs> End of story. Right. But you're, you're, you're not. So what information are you lacking? Like you wouldn't be stressed out. You'd be somewhere else. Well, okay, then I need more information. What more information do I need? Well, I need to know more because actually part of it is I'm really on the hook for this mortgage. I can't afford not to have this job, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So once you've got information that you feel is mostly up to date, you need a way to put that information in context. So information and data on its own is, you know, it's interesting. They're data points. But context is what enables you to take that information and organize it in a sensible way to where you could say, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm young. I don't have a lot of debt. I don't have a mortgage. I feel like I I really dread coming to this job just because I I honestly feel the information I have is that my supervisor just doesn't like me and has no interest. He wants to give all the interesting work to his cousin who works here, whatever. But let's say you've got it all lined up and you probably don't. But if you do and you have context on it, then it it mostly takes courage. Oh, the other things you you, you can't know. You can't know what's really going on in in the boardroom. You, you, I mean, let's say you are on the team. Let's say you are on the Newton team, like, you know, when the Newton team goes away at Apple, they'll almost certainly find a position for you, but it's not going to be working on the Newton because the Newton doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Right. No matter how good you are at that, there's not a job for you there anymore. Is that Apple's fault? Not really. Is it your fault? Not really. But that's good information to know. It's good to know in context that you are valued for this kind of skill where they could put you somewhere. So, you know, enough information to know and current information to, to know what's actually going on. The context to understand it, you know, in terms of like reality. Is that the word context making sense here? Yes. I feel like just having information, for example, you know, like you might know that that person got just the, the data points that that person got a big bonus and you didn't. That might be information, but have you put it into context yet? Do you understand why that might be? Because that might take more information in order to put it into context. And context is what lets us then make a good decision. And that's where you need courage. So if you have great information, it's in context, then the decision will be obvious. Like, do you have the courage to do it? No, I don't have the courage to do this. See also the mortgage. Okay, that's good information to put into context and make a decision. But like to me, like you need all those legs of the stool to to be like sort of a whole person. It's just that I think I honestly feel for for myself and for a lot of people, we stop at the point of emotion. My feelings are hurt. Like I don't get invited to the right meetings. How come everybody else went out for golf and darts or whatever this weekend and they didn't invite me? Well, I mean, are you really mad that you didn't get to play darts? Are you miffed that you didn't get the opportunity to network? Are, you know, you, you feel like you introduced them to golf and now they're leaving you out? Like, what, what's, what is the thing that's really the problem here? And uh, I don't know. That's, that's, that's my feeling on that. Identifying the problem. Well, I mean, the problem is whatever you decide it is, really. You know, but like, again, with information and context, you can start picking up a lot more from other people. You know what you could do? You could go to your boss and you could say, uh, I really like working here. I hope you like me working here. What can I do to do a better job here? Yeah. Or, you know, if I wanted to get, if I wanted to do more things around learning this uh, programming language, are there any projects that you, you would consider putting me on? 
Mm, we're not so sure. Okay. Are they not so sure because they're not interested in that language? Are they not interested because they don't think you're good at doing projects on your own? Or they're not interested in that because you actually are so valuable in this other part, but oh, we never really bothered to tell you how valuable we think you are. More information. So, you know, it's problems or whatever we decide they're going to be, I guess, a lot of the time, especially if we have the freedom to sort of create what our own anxieties are going to be about. I just think it helps to get more information, put it in context, and then, you know, implement courageously. So I don't know. Managing expectations, man, that's that's a whole thing. It it's is. So, it's so difficult because, you know, and you you were being kind about this, but you're getting at that point of like, well, this person says they're good at that. Well, how, do you really know that you're good at that? Because it's extremely challenging because some people, not, not, I'm not saying this is the case with our listener, but some people who think they're great at, ma- uh, at managing expectations are just jerks, which means they mainly, <laughs> in their mind, they're great at managing expectations because dancers know. But other people may find they're not collegial or that, you know, they don't like their style or they feel like they're not pulling their weight, you know, or, you know, something a lot of people are talking about more lately is like the emotional labor of women at work and how much stuff women in offices are not directly formally expected to do, but what they'll get blamed for if it doesn't get taken care of. Like, boy, that's a thing. And that is, that is a real thing. And once you start noticing it, you can't unsee it. Like it's everywhere. But I think that is probably true for some men too. It's probably true for everybody, but you know, I don't know. It's it's hard to give abstract advice about this stuff, except that like stuff that's happening may be happening for a reason. And if it's not happening for a reason, why don't you ask if there's a reason? You know? Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. It seems like we'll do almost anything to avoid talking to each other. It in in the workplace or at at home? Yeah, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wouldn't you rather not talk to somebody than talk to them? You know, it's weird because there were so many in you know and we came up at least i did at the time when like i remember just my day filling with meetings that everything was was about meetings everything was always about meetings let's have a meeting and of course now the trend is oh you know i we have our meetings in plank position on the ground so that they never last more than two and a half minutes you know the first person to lose their plank you gotta leave the room you can't you know whatever but I definitely came from the the thinking of like, if you're, you need to be in the right meetings, you know, you need to be a member of the right meeting so that your name can be on that project. Otherwise you won't get credit for it and you won't be on the next cool project when that one comes up. And, you know, like Mark, he was, he wasn't even in the meeting, but his name's on that project. He's going to get credit for it because he's a senior systems analyst and you're just a senior, you're just a systems analyst. And his name's going to be the one that the director sees when they talk about it. And you know, you weren't in that meeting. Like that was really the kind of like high school level kind of conversations that, that we would have. It was terrible, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, that a big part of your job was just being in a meeting, not a client meeting, but just in, in internal meetings. I remember, I remember at one point and there's so much corporate BS that would happen. But I, I vividly remember working at a company, one of those big te- uh, technology companies with hundreds, if not thousands of employees in it. And we wanted to have like an, a, te- a, a web server to do our testing on because we were building a, a, a website. And I remember this so vividly. I was doing PHP stuff and we wanted like, PHP and MySQL just set up somewhere so we could put the website out and the team could use it and test it and see what we were all working on. 
I had been a system administrator. I was running Linux servers on the side and a little hosting company that I had started on the side. Like I could easily in, in maybe, maybe measured in minutes, but probably a couple of hours from scratch, get a server up and running. We had the hardware. We had old PCs sitting there. I could put them on the network NBD, but that's not how things, we were not allowed to do that. We couldn't put any machine on the network that wasn't approved, you know, it had to be approved. They had to go through them. And so, of course, what that meant is we had to have meetings. So, and, and like we had to have certain meetings. We would have to have a, de- meeting, a meeting with all the key players in it. And we'd have to get representation from the system administration group. But there were three system administration groups. One was an oversight group. Then there was one that would actually handle the uh, Windows side of it. And there was the other one that would be on the Unix side of it. So we'd have to get two to three. Well, you can't have the Unix guy in there without having the Microsoft guy in there because they got to know what's going on too. Why isn't it this being done on IIS? Because we're moving toward IIS as a company. Well, that's fine, but this is PHP stuff. So it's got to be on the Unix side. Okay, well, we need the Solaris guy and we'll have a junior Solaris guy there because he's the one who's actually going to need to know what the setup is. Now you've got like 10 people in this meeting to talk about, well, we just need PHP and MySQL. Well, we can't use MySQL. Can you do it on Oracle? Well, I guess so. Okay, well, we need to talk about licensing. So we need to get the licensing group involved because you're going to need a license of Oracle. Yikes. Like, I'm not exaggerating. This was to just get, you know, now it's nothing. It's just everyone has, everyone on a Mac has the capabilities to do this built in. You just, you know, like it's nothing. But back then, like this would involve meeting upon meeting. And, you know, you talk about setting expectations. You're like, why, why is this bureaucracy there? You know, when you talk about not really wanting to talk to people and having to go through these channels, I think it's because people are afraid at the end of the day, a lot of people are afraid to take responsibility for something and to have their decision be the final decision or the one where like, well, if things go wrong, it's not going to be my fault. We all came to the consensus all in the room together. Those layers of protection around you, like blubber. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Uh, my only thought on the last part is that like, I'm not sure that it's always the case of people like being scared to take responsibility or I'm not sure the word used, but like, it's also that, you know, it's, it, you, it ends up being an albatross sometimes. Mm. If you're the, if you're the, the one person who didn't get a chair in that round of musical chairs, like now you're the one who's going to be, you know, the sin eater for the group. Like you're the one who's going to have to take the hit for this, whether that's doing something that somebody very powerful in this other unit isn't so crazy about or doing something that's going to take a lot of time from people who are already working on something. It's like, you know, you, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think there's reasons people don't want to talk to other people. Yeah. <laughs> and also it can be difficult. Um, did you, do you want to tell me about one more thing you like? Sure. I've got, uh, I've got Casper here next Woo! up. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. They make really great mattresses and instead of paying an arm and a leg for these things instead of having to go to a store and lay on some uh, nasty uh, mattress that a million other people have laid on that's not even a good representation anymore of what you're going to be getting they just send it to you and you get to try it for 100 nights it's free delivery and if you don't like it they'll come and take it away but you've got 100 nights to figure that out it's really, really great. And these things are super, super comfortable. We've talked about the hybridization. Like when they take a human being and an alien 
and they come out with a hybrid, it's not that kind of hybrid. Mm-mm. It's the it's kind. Like, it's not like cyborg. Mm-mm, no, it is. Uh, it is a combination of memory foam. Which hold on a second. It's not a memory foam mattress. A lot of people don't like the memory foam. It's not. It's not what it is. It's a. It's a hybrid of memory foam and latex foam. Together, you get better than just latex and better than just memory foam. Just they say that um, this is this is their thing. Just the right sink, just the right bounce. Mm-hmm. Better nights, brighter days. Five hundred bucks for a twin. Nine all the way up to nine fifty for a king. I don't think you're going to even be able to find a decent twin size mattress in a store for the price of their king size mattress. It's uh, it's amazing. Hundred nights, you get to try it out. You're going to get fifty dollars toward any mattress purchase by going to Casper.com/backtowork. You use the code back to work to get that 50 bucks. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you very much to Casper for supporting 5x5 and back to work. The other ones you couldn't even sit in. Couldn't even sit in. Look at the wall with the rock. You know what movie (laughs) I just watched the other night? Raging Bull. Raging Bull. Have you seen Raging Bull? I've seen Raging Bull. It's a triumph. Raging Bull. I like the typefaces. It's hard for me to watch Raging Bull without seeing kind of primordial versions of all of the same scenes that you eventually see in Goodfellas. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like they'll have certain kinds of cuts, certain kinds of shots, certain kinds of angles and, and certain just, I mean, not to mention all the same people are there, but it just, it's, it's like a, a primordial more, in a way, immature version of of Goodfellas. Good if Goodfellas is the full evolution of that of what was trying to be accomplished. Raging Bull is an uh, early version of that. Hmm. It's really good. It's really raw. I'm only now just realizing you were reading a note from my friend Tony. Hi, Tony. Tony. No, Tony, totally. the, like the Don, finger. Yeah, Don Tony. Yeah. I feel like I should give different advice now because I know Tony. Well, okay, change it up. We can edit ah, that. I mean, this whole the show won't air, but Tony Tony works hard. Tony works hard in a thankless job. He's a good man. Yeah, and thorough. <laughs> uh, hi, Tony. I'm a big fan. <laughs> this is this is from Elisa. She works with a business book publisher. Yes, and a few of her authors cover topics that uh, we and our listeners would be interested in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I didn't respond to her email, so she wrote back. She wrote back. Uh, you know, a couple weeks later, mm-hmm. she said. Uh, any interest in our Any? authors? No, thanks. <laughs> you have the best response to them. I couldn't believe I was re- when I saw <laughs> your you reply. Catch last, did you catch that one last week? That's yes. the worst title for a book I've ever heard. I love that. What was the title? We should read the title. Do you still have that one? No, I can't bear to look at it. I feel like such a jerk. Hold on. No. <laughs> Where's title? No, because then we're going to end up promoting. No, no, no. Oh, my God. It was so bad. Oh, I, I've, I know that's here. Here it is. Because my response to you uh, was, oh, snap. Uh, Here is here is the title. I have to read it. I don't want to promote it, but I have to read it. Hi, Merlin and Dan. I would love to have you consider interviewing author and founder of three creative Tim Brown and author and principal of Impart Learning Solutions, Dan Studer. They are the co-authors of the new book, Old School with New Tools, colon, the extra 5% that takes you to the top of your sales game and keeps you there. (laughs) <laughs> that's the title of the book 
Old school with Brown new tools. Or, do you think Brown or Streeter had more input on that? <laughs> I think that's. A, I bet that, that sounds like a Streeter. Streeter. I'm t- my money's on Streeter. Mm-hmm. Old school with new tools. The extra five percent that takes you to the top of your sales game and keeps you there. I have to imagine that our listeners would love to hear from uh, Brown and Streeter. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like if we were to have uh, the two of them on the show, that Streeter would just like he did in in coming up with that title, he would overshadow Brown. Oh, absolutely. Well, the problem is, you know, he, as you know, he's the principal of Impart Learning Solutions, <laughs> where he develops and delivers life-changing learning experiences. Now, 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 Tim Brown's a different story. He's the, he's the founder of three, of three Creative, and he has set his sights on positively <laughs> impacting the lives of millions of people across the world through his books and life-changing leadership programs. Now, the thing is, the, the thing you need to know about Tim Brown is that whether in book or <laughs> seminar form, his Brown, Brown's learning opportunities combine his rich entrepreneurial experience as one of the most successful CEOs on the planet with the best educational practices of today to create highly impactful learning experiences. All right. Well, just don't forget. You know, the thing about Brown is that he has a self-described passion for developing individuals responsible for sales and business. That's, only, that's his passion is developing business, business people, you know? Now, the thing about Dan Streeter is that as an expert in learning... <laughs> His instructional design and presentation delivery, his company has designed learning experiences for several of the most innovative educational programs in America. So I feel like we thing. need to reply and just let her know that we covered we covered that on this episode. Oh yeah, you think we should circle back? <laughs> Aaron, that's the worst title for a book I've ever heard. Yeah. But then in fairness, she did write back. To you? Said, you? Oh yeah, she said no, she thinks this uh she said, no, this is the worst one she's ever heard. And it's a, it's a book called Learning to Play with a Lion's Testicles, Unexpected Gifts from the Animals of Africa. Re- no. I'll put it in notes. She replied to you? Sure. She's a communications professional. Of course mm. she wrote back. Well, here anyway, we- <laughs> if you're out there, we'll, we'll put this in notes. You want to pick up a copy of uh, Streeter and Brown. Uh, so I guess I should mention the name of the book. Streeter and Brown in their book, Old School with New Tools, colon, the extra five percent numeral five that takes you to the top of your sales game and keeps you there. You I was going to do Derek's Derek's email. Yeah, go ahead and do Derek. But anyway, yeah, Streeter and Brown. Hi guys, yeah. just listened to the latest number two fifty four fixed points in time and found it really useful. I was wondering if you could follow up with what seems to me the next topic: how to accept that you're not going to do everything you want. I know this is a certain kind of in, of joke in our culture. Middle-aged man walks to, uh, wakes to realize he will never be lead singer of a rock and roll band. But I think it's serious, and you both touched on it briefly in this week's episode. Once we've accepted the number of commitments we can take on and have worked them into our schedules as best we can, how to accept that the other stuff isn't going to happen, at least for the foreseeable future. In some ways, this feels like grief to me. I hope that doesn't sound silly. I have five major project ideas They all feel awesome to me, and I can do only one, and even that's going to take a year when I wish I could get it together to finish in a month or two. It's cold comfort to tell yourself that the remaining four projects might get done in later years, as those projects won't be fresh and exciting by then, new projects will be exciting in later years, and later me won't even be interested in ideas from current me. I sort of feel like I need to have a memorial service for the awesome book I'm not going to write to let it go. (laughs) Is that something you've experienced? Are there useful ways you've found to deal with this? Thanks for the show. It really does help. And he's got a PS and a PPS, but we can potentially get to those. I, uh, I, I think it's, it's a great note, and I, I do have things. I, I want to hear what you think. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you on the way that you read email. You sound like Rorschach sometimes. <laughs> from uh, from Watchmen? 
I know this is a certain kind of joke in our culture. Middle-aged man wakes to realize he will never be the lead singer of a rock band. Uh, it's still a good City movie. Has, City has seen my true face. <laughs> Dead dog in gutter. Sometimes at, at when, external. When, uh, when my boy is putting on his, uh, his, uh, his shirt at night, you know, like his t- he's getting changed, putting on his, his T-shirt, sleeping, he'll, uh, he'll whip it off and he'll say, Give me back my face! Oh, wow. Yeah. So you didn't skip over that part. No. no oh, that's a great there. scene when they capture him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I love that movie. I know I'm alone, but no, I, really I like it. I like it, too. Oh, I like it, God. too. Big, big <laughs> joke. Drum roll. Everybody laugh. <laughs> but doctor. <laughs> anyway, uh, you go first. Ah, uh, I mean, I definitely. Th- <laughs> oh, God. I definitely right, go. think he thinks. Along the same lines as I do about that in that, you know, the, the, the next topic along those lines is how do you accept that you're not going to have time maybe ever? And we did touch on that a little bit. And I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, mean, I feel bad about it. Like, a lot of the time I'll, I'll wake up and I'll just have to, you know, we, we have talked about the Buddhist concept of letting go. And that is a big thing that, that Gil and the other great folks at IMC will talk about is letting go. You know, it sounds it sounds like such an abstract topic, but it's something. OK, perfect example. Um, we my kid had to do a mosaic for his uh, homework assignment over the weekend. And the mosaic involved getting they sent home a big white sheet of construction paper. And the assignment was to just do a mosaic. That was as much of a guideline as they really got. And it, the only limitation on it had to be there had to be exactly 100 pieces. Oh, we we just did that. Did you really? We did it with Lego. Yeah. Oh, cool. See, Legos is, would have been a fun way to do it. But this was just, you know, construction paper, I think, was what they were wanting you to do. And they did wanted you do pasta. You did pasta. No, no, we did construction paper. We did. And we cut it up into different pieces. And then he. He, oh, I see. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Okay. So he did a tree and uh, some other things in, in there in the mosaic. And so he, uh, you know, he had it ready to go and it was due today. And of course, in the hectic morning, of course, we forgot it. Oh, no. So n- not a big deal because I was already set to take my daughter to school. So I had to go back home. So I went back home and then I had to go back and I had to make an extra trip to his school. And you know, they, they have a system for this at the school. I guess people forget stuff so often that there's a little bin and you have a little clipboard in the bin and you fill out the student's name and what the thing is. And then a teacher or a teacher aide or someone will go and deliver it to the classroom. It's not a big deal. And he got it and it was fine. But there, I had a tremendous opportunity to be pissed off about this this morning, you know, because it was going to add an extra all round trip and everything else, extra half hour, 45 minutes of the day lost time taken away, going to be late for a call, all of this other stuff that like I could be pissed off about. And I could be pissed off at so many different people. I could be pissed off at myself for not remembering it or not putting it in the car last night. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I could be pissed off at my kid for forgetting it. I could be pissed off at my wife for not putting it in a more obvious place or for her to remember. You know what I mean? Or I could just not be pissed off at anybody and I could just let go and I could say, you know what? The fact is, this mosaic is still at the house on the counter. I can go get it and take it to him, and he'll have it. And then here's an opportunity to be happy about something. I got to save the day for my kid, 
I got to make him happy. I got to do something a little different. And you know what? It's a really pretty day out. I got to be outside a little bit more and walk around a little bit more. And there's a lot of opportunities to not be pissed off. But it feels like I should be pissed off. It feels like I should be pissed off. You know, like well, that's the that, default that, emotion to go that, to. But why do I do that? Has, the need for anger has so much momentum. It's yeah. really hard to stop. It's so hard to stop. So I don't know, this this email, re- reading it, makes me think kind of about that. And like, this is more stuff now I'm not going to have time to do. I'm going to be doing this other thing. And I don't know. I feel like that that it, being pissed off about it and having to, to be smart about letting it go or just that attitude of letting go. Like, can you start by letting something go first before you even get to, do I need to have a, <laughs> a memorial service for that thing I'm not going to do? Or can I just, can I let it go? Why do I have to hold on to? Why do I have to feel pissed off? Why do I have to feel grief? Why do I have to feel these things? Why is it so hard to let go? It is hard to let go. Well, for the same reason that we keep clutter around the house. It feels like we're being disloyal to a version of ourselves that we owe something to. You know, it's almost like, well, I feel like you get, I I get the ability sometimes to see myself. It really, it causes a really certain, really penetrating sadness in me to think of myself being younger and, um, I mean, I don't have like tons of regrets, but there are times when I think like, you know, I, there are so many things that I won't do. I still really wonder if I'll ever go to France. It's not something I spend nights thinking about, but it's something where that used to be like, hmm, I wonder when I'll go to France to more like, that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. But anyway, that's one thing. But there's lots of things like that. I mean, you know, all, all the way down to like, how many more times will I go out with my kid at Halloween? Like I can count that, you know, on these, on these, mostly on one hand. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, and, but I mean, also looking back, you know, and this goes to that, the, the points in that book that I like a lot. Um, it's all too much, that book about clutter <clears throat> that, you know, a lot of times when we keep around clothes that don't fit us or, you know, photos of stuff in a pile, it, it, you know, I'm going to paraphrase this and put this in my own words. It's, they're in a strange space where there are things in your life that you know are important. There are things in your life, you know, should be important. And then there, there are these things in your life that like, they have a certain kind of like almost a magical animism from the past, but you don't really love them. Like you don't may not feel great about that photo. You might think you look a doof, you know, or you might think you're actually mad at these pants because they don't fit you anymore, <laughs> but they still are something talismanic. And that like throwing out the pants that are too small for you feels like an admission that you're a fat person who's never going to be loved. And you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. But you know what I'm saying? When you, when you do stuff like that, you're, you're sending a message to yourself that you're, you can't be helped in a way that would be shameful to the young you. I'm not picking out weight in particular here. It's just, it could be anything. But I think that these are common sorts of things or like, you know, uh, photos and letters like from a breakup or reading things, you know, you've read about, you know, what you're, what you're going to do and what you think. And um, so I I think, I think that's one reason that, that we feel the need to cling to those things, even when it doesn't even seem plausible anymore. And, you know, in a lot of cases, that's not harming anybody. Uh, if, If that becomes too much, then you are sort of cutting yourself off from what the future can be. So my, my thought on this is extremely simple, which is consider it a blessing. Like, don't consider it a curse. Like, you know, first of all, is it really possible? Is it really not possible that you'll ever write a book? Do you still want to write a book? Like, do you really want, I mean, forget about the past, you know, like, do you still really want to write a book? Because ask yourself that. Because if you're still mad that you haven't write a book, written a book and you're not actually that excited about writing a book, it sounds like that's a draw. Like, you got a easy on that one. It's, it would be very different to say like, you know, I wish I'd taken better, better, started taking better care of myself younger because mm. now I have health problems. Right. Like that's the kind of like, Ugh, this really sucks. This really, really sucks. So, I mean, 
I would look at it that way. So do you still want to write a book? Let's, let's start there. Um, without regard to like whether it's, it's really super possible in the next year or whatever, like whatever that thing is, maybe if you want to learn to play the clarinet or whatever and ask yourself, like, do you still really want to do that thing? Is this a case of like still wanting a race car bed from when you're seven or eight years old? Okay. Well update your expectations. (laughs) And so, but then like, okay, well, if you still want to write a book, why don't you just write a freaking book? Uh, if it means a lot to you, find a way to do it. But you know what you don't do? Don't imagine that you're going to be, you're going to get anywhere by being mad at yourself about what you didn't do in the past and stop setting unrealistic expectations about what you can do in the future. No, you're probably going to not write 10 books. Guess what? Guess what? There's about 6 billion people that are never going to write 10 books. Like you are in the same very large boat with a lot of people. I would look at it as a mitzvah. I would look at it as as a way to say like, I suddenly have to get a lot more practical about how to spend my time with the time that I have left. So, I mean, I, admittedly that's a sad sack way to look at it but it's a lot more realistic than beating yourself up over what didn't happen yeah i mean when you reflect back on that and and, and we we definitely tend to cling and hold on to those those things those concepts of i love that you mentioned the race car bed because i think certainly everyone in our age group uh probably guys especially probably wanted that you know, and like mm-hmm. never got it. And, you know, the things that my kids both want in Target are, you know, they're all things that I could just buy and that I don't want anymore. You know, that's back to the um, the listener's email of like the future me doesn't want that stuff necessarily. All the things that I was just dying to get when I was a kid now aren't really that interesting to me. But yet there's still this concept of like, well, I, I should do that because that's what I'd always wanted. Or I'd always wanted to move to New York and live there. Well, now I'm not going to get to do that. That sucks. Well, why does it suck? Do I still want to do that? So I love, I love your approach there. Well, we, I think we, because we, we don't necessarily notice ourselves getting older too often. We don't notice ourselves really changing or evolving too often, but there can be a certain persistence of things. There are certainly persistent memories whether those are good memories or bad memories, there's certainly persistent feelings that can have a very long tail where if there's something that you had a very humiliating thing happen to you when you were 13, you might still think about it sometimes. Yeah, And that's not just a a switch that you can easily flip. And I'm not, not saying that you should. I'm saying that like, let's do some slow thinking for a minute here. Let's get out of the fast thinking and move to the slow thinking. And let's slowly think about the idea that who you are now still matters. And like, what if you had the temerity to imagine that who you are now and who you could be in the future is just as important of what you didn't because what you didn't become in the past. And I don't know if that sounds like mumbo jumbo, but I think that we tend to give ourselves a very hard time about what we haven't done or didn't do well, or what we feel like we failed at in the past in a way that like impedes us. And I, I sound like a Scientologist at this point, but I think that's a, that, that can be damaging. And the slow thinking you might need to do is to slow way down and really process like what's going on right now. Like, is this base, like baseline stuff? Is it making you happier to have that burden all the time? Mm. Have you thought about not having that burden? Like maybe that's a thing that you could do, you know? And maybe if you looked at what's around you, instead of trying to like mull over all this stuff that can't ever be again, all that melancholy and nostalgia, like look at what could be out there right now and pick one small thing to do that's really manageable. And suddenly, you know, a thousand flowers bloom. Hmm. That's good. Did you uh, have uh, one more uh, thing you like a today? Final, a final word the from final our sponsor. word from our sponsor. The final word is websites. Plastics. 
<laughs> Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. I, I, I hear they're going to be doing another big uh, Super Bowl spot uh, this oh, coming nice. weekend. So I'm going to keep my eye out for that. But it, I think our spot will outdo that. Just as, as, it, as usual. As usual, as always. But here's the thing. Squarespace, I, lo- I love what they have done in making the impossible possible. For the regular human being, it seems like every week somebody will come up to me and say uh, on the street, they'll, just, you know, they'll grab my lapels and they'll pull me, pull me over to the side and they'll say, how do I do it? How do I do it? How do I make a website? And my answer is the same every time. It's, it's 2016. You're going to use Squarespace. And I'm like, I am? Yes, you are. Go to squarespace.com slash back to work. Sign up. Use the code. It's your show. One word. And you'll get 10% off your first purchase. A lot of, I think, a lot of our listeners know about Squarespace. They know how easy it is to use. They know that there's the drag and drop stuff. They know there's the beautiful templates. They know they can post a, a podcast there. They know that they can uh, upload their uh, music there and put their albums up there if they're a musician creating amazing music, uh, the e-commerce stuff that's built in. They know about all that. What they don't know is how fast it is to get up and running with Squarespace. We, You and I did a, a little spot about this a couple of years ago. Oh, I remember this. We did a little speed test, a little speed trial. During the show, during the spot, like you went and created an account and I forget how long, was it like 30 seconds? It was, it was un, un, literally under a minute. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, I, w- I would budget five minutes, but it'll take even less to sign up. And uh, and if you sign up for that whole year, you get a free domain name. That's right. Which means you don't have to go to another Super Bowl sponsor. That's right. Mm-hmm. So go check it out. Squarespace.com slash back to work code. It's your show to get 10% off your first purchase. And uh, just visiting URL supports this show and lets them know you're listening. So do that. And then while you're there, why not sign up and get an awesome, uh, awesome website in the process. Squarespace, they do everything. Go check them out. Spare Squares. Thank you, Squarespace. Every kiss begins with K. <laughs> it's, it's true. You can check it. No, I know it's true. Ah, <sighs> what time we got here? Do you want? Do, do we have time for one more? Yeah, I think we do. Let me close that one. Here's another one uh, from uh, Jim. Hi guys, again I love the show. The last three have been amazing. It seems like there's a topic here that would be interesting to shake out. You talked about Steve Martin's greeting business card. A great idea, but how many people can get away with that? Why was he able to? I have enough feelings of inadequacy with my profession, and I don't know if it's confidence, hubris, or just being a jerk, but I can guarantee if I did the same thing, it wouldn't go well. Would it for you? The topic I would request is something to do with success and how to know you're not chasing down a wrong turn. As in, it'd be nice to see the outcome of what I'm working hard on right now. I have trouble focusing on the right thing with capital R and T, the right thing, because I don't know that it is the right thing. I find myself bouncing between things, never quite doing any of them well. And uh, he says, I guess I turned a topic suggestion into a cry for help. Sorry about that. Uh if there's anything there, awesome. If not, thank you for reading. Regards, Jim. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve, a Martin, lot. Steve Martin one's easy. Steve Martin was able to hand strangers a card that says, you met me and I was nice because he's Steve Martin. Right. I, I would not recommend that for everybody. <laughs> it's not a technique. But, <clears throat> I mean, I guess what he's getting at, though, is, what is he getting at? I think he's getting at the fact that he feels inadequate 
with his profession. And he's not sure if it's what it is, but you know, how, how, how can he have that same kind of feeling about what he does? This is my interpretation of it. I don't know if I'm, if I'm to feel, to feel confident, to feel confident, to feel not necessarily good enough that he could be like, you met Steve Martin today, wink, you know, but, but have that kind of feeling maybe. And again, maybe I'm reading into it, but have that kind of feeling about himself and what he's doing in, in, within the context of his own profession, even if he's not going to hand out a business card that's like, yeah, dude, you met me. Uh, uh, but to go into it feeling like, you know what, I'm, I'm doing something good here. I'm doing something that's fun. That means something. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's virtually impossible to answer without knowing what sort of work he's doing yeah. at, at what level. But, <clears throat> but I don't know. There's a, a distinction I remember first hearing about maybe in college, especially in talking about motivation for doing things. And I'm not talking about inspiration. I'm talking about motivation. What motivates us to do things? And that there are, and this is probably very old information, that there's, you know, roughly speaking, two general kinds of uh, motivation. There's intrinsic and extrinsic. Um, doing this off the top of my head. But, you know, extrinsic motivation is stuff like money, right? The fact that you, that there's a motivation outside of your own, you know, inside reasons for wanting to do something. Like, it could be for status. You know, it could be for fame, Um you know, I mean, there's all these different things. There's money in the other reasons, <laughs> but those are, those are, I mean, and certainly there may be intrinsic reasons that you want money, but the extrinsic reasons are things where, you know, you want your, where you, and certainly we all want a combination. There's nobody who wants to work somewhere for 50 years and not get paid. Right. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it is a mix of things. And it's helpful to understand what your motivations are and how, to what extent they are extrinsic and intrinsic. So with extrinsic kinds of motivations and rewards, we're either looking for things that like are quantifiable benefits to us, like money or insurance or a company car or whatever. But I think another big one extrinsically is are things like status. Like, you know, there are people who may get a modest raise, but they're very excited because they got a new title. I, I'm not above that. When I got new titles, I would be very excited. Oh, yeah. I get, get a card, you know, that had my title on it. And that felt really good. It was a validation from outside my own head that I didn't suck at what I was doing. And there's nothing cynical about that. And then the intrinsic reasons, I guess, can be myriad. You know, one of the most basic ones is you want to be good at what you do. You want to know that you're good at what you do. You want to see the results of the efforts of your labors, you know, played out in life. Like you help dig this well. You help develop this website. Whatever it is you do, like you, it isn't just that you want, you know, other people to see this, it, that you want to see it. And so I, I realize this is an extremely like nakedly dull uh, and and kind of, just a blunt model, but I would consider looking at like, well, what are the extrinsic and intrinsic motivations for the job that you're doing and which are the ones that are not being satisfied? Because if you're looking for more uh, extrinsic stuff, well, is it because you're not getting enough money? Well, are you in the kind of job where, and doing the kind of performance where you could really ask for or expect more money? Good, good to know. Intrinsic reasons, like this is back to your book I haven't finished reading yet, but about uh, quality. Mm. You know, what are the kinds of things where you take pride in what you do and, you know, feel a certain satisfaction with, you know, finishing your work and leaving a tidy desk every day at 530. Um, I think when, when we find that things are unsatisfying, it does help to really trace the source of the leak. You know, I think they are frequently, I, I, I'm going to keep saying this because I, I know it's true for me. We don't notice a problem until it becomes emotional. There's not that many problems that we worry about that haven't also already caused some kind of an emotion. And unlike so many other things in life, an emotion can cause a problem. 
isn't that a crazy idea? Mm. Like when something bad happens to you and you end up feeling bad about it, now you have an emotion about that. But then think about what happens when you have emotions about something. And again, go through my old, that old jukebox of like, uh, you know, how you start seeing and thinking and deciding differently as a result. So if things are feeling unsatisfying, I, again, I think information, context, and courage never hurt. But also um, looking at what motivations and rewards are lacking. If you, take, if you can take a step away, does that make any sense? No, it definitely does. It's taking I mean, I'm trying step to think of how is... I would apply that to myself, but I, I think that's not a, a terrible way to look at it. But it does require you to be awfully candid with yourself and to probably examine stuff that you thought you had settled many, even many years ago. Mm -hmm. Because those kinds of residual feelings about like what you, what you deserve, what you're owed, like what you should have, or like what, what you're overdue for, like those kinds of feelings tend to stick around for a pretty long time and become like furniture. We, you just kind of don't notice them anymore. I don't know. It's like, it's like someone in a dream where you can't see their face, but you know that they're there, you know? I think there is that aspect to, of, of looking back and retrospect. And of course you see the things that you didn't do. It's easy to see them as opposed to what you really have done or what you really have accomplished. It's easy to see not that regret or like the remorse of, Oh, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done that as, as much as just you look back and you're like, why didn't I do that? You know? And, and instead of looking at what you did do, you know, even my little story before about being like the system administrator. Well, I did get a lot of stuff done. You know, can I can I turn around that feeling that I have in my mind of that experience from something where I was like not that happy to like, well, here's what I learned from it. You know, here's what I took away from it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Maybe. Um, I mean, I, th I think what I, I guess one thing I'm, I'm realizing or, or thinking is that there's a, a terrible insidious disconnect about power and how we look at the past and how we look at the current and how we look at the future. Mm. I mean, isn't it funny how powerful we have made the us of the past? When we get mad at ourselves uh. about what we haven't done, we don't stop for a minute to go, like, if I had done that better, if I had had the skills, if I had been smarter, like you, but you never doubt for a second that you could have done it differently. All you do is look back at all the ways that you're, you're just screw up and like, but, but, but in order to, for that model to have any logical resonance, it requires you to think that you were capable of doing stuff that was extremely different from what you did in the past. Whether that's true or not, I'm not so sure. But that, that becomes very ironic when you look at how you are now, because a lot of the people who are looking constantly at the past and what they did wrong are at the same time looking at how little power they have today to do anything differently or how many, how little agency they have to, to change either the way they think or what they do. And I'm not saying any of that is true or false. I just think it's interesting. So, and if you're looking for an exercise though, like ask yourself how different things could have been in the past. You ready for a big disappointment? What if this is the life you were always going to have and your, your thinking has just always been a little bit misaligned? Well, you know, what, what day's a good day to, to figure that out? Um, because I don't know. I mean, there's just so many things. Like I'm thinking about this book again. There's just so many, that Kahneman book. There's just so many things in our own perception that are so distorted and like once you get, once you see, it's almost like, you know, once you see like an optical illusion or something like you, you'll, you, you'll just always see that now. And like, you can't see anything different and it's confusing and your brain turns on it and it mm -hmm. gets confused. And it's, I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but except to this really dumb and boring thing, which is like, let's just say it once a month, go a little easier on yourself. 
if it's helping you to be very, very hard on yourself and very, very critical of what you've done poorly in the past, keep doing it. If that's going great, keep doing it. But consider for a moment that maybe there is something you could do differently. And I actually think, you know, there are, there, God knows there are certainly certain conditions that can cause us to feel this way, not least of which is certain kinds of depression, which a lot of us have in some way or another. Right, right. And depression is not always what it looks like. You think depressed means you're just always sitting under a blanket, but there are very animated people that have depression too. But, you know, it could also be just errors in thinking and like the consolation of thinking that you really, really understand the world and you have understood the world for a long time and it's the world that's getting it wrong. Because boy, do you have the world's number. But like, make sure that's really still the case. And the real courage in that case is to say, you know what, maybe I don't know everything. And maybe one of the things I don't know is I don't have to treat myself like such a dick all day. Mm. You never know. Give it a shot. Have a dick-free day. Dick-free. Hey, and uh, go pick up your fister. It's got a four-inch, it's got a four-inch uh, center mount. Nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, well, let's button this up. All right. Okay, I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man. <laughs> 